What is up, Hockey IQ listeners? I'm here to chat about our newest sponsor, Sensorina. Your brain is one of the most important parts of your body. Why not invest in a tool that allows you to train it? With Sensorina, athletes can gain a competitive edge using VR training. Players are able to go through a scenario thousands of times without having to step foot on the ice. No more waiting around for puck touches or perfect scenarios. Sensorina can enhance reaction time, decision-making, and multitasking abilities, making you the next MVP. I mean, if the LA Kings are using it, it's got to be good. With our promo code HockeyIQ, you receive $50 off an annual plan purchase. Head on over to Sensorina.com to check it all out. On the Hockey IQ podcast today, we bring on Nathan Delara. Guy's a G, absolute wonder kid uh, in the analytics sphere. Super happy to bring you on, Nathan. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me on. I'm super proud and happy to be on the pod. Oh, proud. Uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's more infamous than anything. I'm not sure, but we'll find out. Uh, so let's, uh, let's get straight into it and start with your exploits. Uh, you did win the CBJ hack, uh, data competition. So, um, maybe let us know what you found out and why you're a winner. Yeah, that was a, that was a really sick time and, uh, it was a super cool opportunity. So I guess we should start with some backup on what, what was going on. And it was like, I think sport logic released all this event data, so passes shots blocks and like where the pass was made where it was going to in a bunch of situations in for the american hockey league and they pretty much said like we're gonna have this competition yet you kind of we're gonna give you the data you're gonna come up with a project on your own and like we're gonna have a competition and the best project wins and so what i did is i went to the power play passing data and here they have like information on every pass, like where it was made, where it went, some other information on like, I think if it was like an elevated pass, if the passer was being um, like pressured or if the receiver was being pressured and it's all timestamped. So you can kind of like sequence these passes together and take like one pass and say like it was made before the second one. And you can, collect pass sequences and that's what i did and i took all of these past sequences that happened before shots occurred and i like clustered them to try and find common past sequences that we were seeing in the ahl like power play data and then the idea was from those clusters look at like the xg numbers and the shot numbers and the average goals on them and try and make like some bigger conclusions about the sorts of passes that are valuable and power play movement and power plays in general, I guess. So why do you think they chose you as the best project there? Like what were your findings and why do you think it's valuable? Yeah. So the findings were really cool and they were, a lot of it was like validation of some stuff that people had been saying already for a couple of years in the hockey analytics community 
and also I think a little bit of a like an extra layer of nuance validated by data that we necessarily didn't have before. So for a long time, a big thing that like Ryan Stimson, who's like one of the legends in the hockey analytics community, has been saying is like we need to get like passes behind the red line and like behind the net. And what I found in my analysis was like, yeah, that's like a a lot of these passing sequences that go behind the red line end up being like really good, really good high quality chances. So that's definitely like a yes, this is like totally valid, like true to even the AHL level. And then also some stuff about like stretching out teams. So, you know, like passing it back to the point to stretch out the, the defense and then passing it down. And now you've maybe opened up some more seams. And you can see that because like in the sequences we found, there were like passes from the point down to the flank that went then went like right to the middle, right in front of the net or to the slot. And it was... I guess those sorts of abstractions. And then from all from these like passing sequences, you could see like clear points where players were making passes from and like patterns in general of like spots on the ice. So I took this and I said, like, okay, I see all of these spots that are recurring and all of these like passes that are recurring in different sequences that are all valuable, and like tried to like abstract away from it like a a more general way of like where you should position your players so that they're in these like spots to make successful sequences and better passes. And I came away with the box in one and I presented that. And I, I hope it was kind of like this extra layer of like abstraction and thinking and like validation of past results. That was why I won. So that's why you won because you figured out that the, the box plus one is better than the current one three one. Well, I I wouldn't say figure it out because I my thoughts in presenting it have actually like changed quite a bit. I think uh, at the time I presented the box and one, and the thinking was like we have like these passes that are going like from where a player would line up in the box and one. So like it, like it lined up almost really well with the passing locations and the sequences and afterwards someone from the t like one of the assistant coaches of the blue jackets at the time came up to me and he said like yeah like the box in one is really good for that if you can like freeze the power the penalty kill but like once they adapt it it can kind of leave your guys like frozen and there's not much you can do so it's a sort of thing of like, I think the one through one is very good because it allows players to get into the same spots that they might get into the box in one. And I've seen like, I think the Detroit's the Red Wings this year, I've done a fairly good job of kind of showing how like players can get in certain spots at times when I saw them earlier in the year and other top power plays. I, I don't know why I said the Red Wings, but other top power plays have also done that, like have shown that really well that they can do that out of the one through one two. So I, my thoughts have changed and I think one through one allows for a lot of motion that kind of generates these positions and like chains just probably better than the boxing one. So the box plus one is the ideal passing lanes basically, but the one, three, one, is the basic structure to which start 
to manipulate the defensive structure to open up those passing lanes. Is that the way I'm understanding this correctly? I think that's a good way of under of like summarizing and explaining a fair bit in it. Okay, G glad I can do something right here because uh, clearly you've been dominating. Uh, you've done some other analytics work, and I'm pretty sure that's also shown well, if I remember correctly. Um. Well, there's also Rochester, so R Rochester Institute of Technology um sports analytics conference that was another uh data competition that i was submitted and picked as a finalist and at the time that was like tracking data and passing data at a point where we hadn't really seen many like passing models at the time so everyone it was like me and two other finalists and we all showed up and we all had like different passing stuff different passing models so I think the people there got a little bit bored by the time I had to present like I was presenting third and I went up and I was like everyone else has done passing I'm gonna have to do passing too like everyone's gonna be bored but I think it went well and I was able to like present one of the first or at least in my understanding one of the first like passing value models in hockey that was looking at like where the pass was made from where it was received and like sort of the condition of the the condition of the puck when the player received it. So what were your findings uh, out of that Rochester paper that you wrote? I'm assuming that forward passes are probably going to be relatively valuable. Yeah. At, at the time I didn't really ex like um, experiment with the model too much to figure out like what sorts of things were valuable if I'd go back, I would, but it was more like, it was like one of the first things I'd done publicly. And I was like, this is a model you can do. And like the players that rank favorably in it are also like producing points, like have high, high point production and high production in other stats too. Okay. So Patty Kane would show off well in that. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think it was on the NHL, but a guy like Patrick Kane would do very well. McDavid would obviously do really well. Okay, so you've – are you big on the eye test as well, or do you really like to let the data kind of guide your eye where it needs to go? I'm like, I think the eye test is super important, but really at the finer sorts of skills. And I, I think, like, your newsletter does a really good job of kind of talking about some of the skills and, like, let's say like the draw pass or like going through like the triangle that the defenseman will make with his skates and his stick is like a really important skill I've seen. Like a lot of blogs talk about it and that's a super important skill. And there's no way for us to know like who's doing that in the data. And the data is like a very coarse view and very like abstracted away version of things that may not always like Un, like un, uncover like a lot of like these beautiful like finer point details that players are doing to beat their man or make sure that a pass like gets to a player in the right spot so I, I assume we're talking a lot about the passer but what about like the pass receiver the person I don't know maybe call it the passy the passer the passy the person that's actually receiving the puck, like, are we able to quantify a good value on him? Cause like, I feel like that would be a super valuable thing to have. It's like, 
how good is someone at doing these off puck routes that opens up the possibilities for these passes? Like some players will do area passes and like basically lead players where they need to go. And that's like how they leverage their hockey IQ. But I think there's a super important value on skating off the puck. You know, like there's a reason why people are like, we got to skate here today, boys, because you've got to be able to open up even the possibility for passing. Oh, I, I totally agree. And that's a sort of question that sadly we'll only really be able to answer once like tracking data is like fully available and like people start really working on it. Because, you know, I can tell you a player received a pucks in a spot, but I maybe can't tell you, like, where was he when the pass was made if I don't have tracking data or, like, the location of other people, right? And, I mean, especially on the skill of, like, being good at receiving passes, like, was the pass put in a good spot for you to receive it or do you have to do, like, some crazy acrobatic thing with your stick to put it in a good spot for you to, like, keep skating or shoot it yeah and like how do they shape the angles of the passing like their movement allowed for a large passing area so they made it even easier on the person making the pass like i think there's some like that's that's where i want to get but like you said i think that you need some more tracking data to truly abstract that out but maybe someone here who's listening can point us in the right direction but that would be absolutely amazing. Curious with, uh, I mean, you've worked with an NHL club before. Are these the type of questions they're asking themselves? Um, so I was working with them with, I was looking at the tracking data that came out a while ago, and I think it's still very coarse and like, it's not, it's not very refined yet. And it's a sort of thing that like, you really need people who are like very good at SQL and databases and sort of like data management beyond before you can even like really get to analyzing this data. And my understanding is a lot of teams don't have guys like that. So my, my first guess would be like, no, because it, it's just so much information and you need somebody who can like package that information for you to then like use your like data analyst skills and package that like f- even furthermore into something that other people can understand. So like while the player tracking is probably there on the private side, I would be pretty surprised if like people are working on it. I want to say Carolina actually like a year or two ago hired someone in that role that you just described but i mean they also have eric tolsky so that that doesn't surprise me one bit yeah I, I think they did that definitely rings a bell and i mean it's a super important role but like it, i think it's just as crucial as having a good analyst themselves so the data going beyond is massive like we need to be thinking about how do you like the data itself is huge, but like actually organizing that data is something that isn't probably done well enough. So when it finally gets to an analyst, maybe it's like it's could it could be great research and process, but the underlying fidelity of the data is probably not strong enough to derive a really good result or as competent of a result. Does that sound about right? 
Well, I think the, if I understand the question properly and you're asking like the quality of it or like the precision, I think yeah, more, more so the precision and the confidence of how like good your data truly is. So like, like if you're doing research, it could be fantastic, but it's on terrible data compared to if you're doing terrible research, but it's on good data type, like there's two inputs here and we're having to be concerned about both, not just one or the other. Yeah, but that, I mean, that's always a, I think that's always an important concern, right? I think like a lot of stuff is like, even if it's the most like beautiful model, if you're putting garbage in, you're going to get garbage out. And I, I don't think I can really speak to the precision of the tracking data, but it's definitely like, if you're putting, yeah, if you're putting garbage in, you're going to get garbage out. And at the same time, like, just on the sheer quantity, I think like the good explanation for like video coaches is like, if I can give you like every, a video of like every single event that's happened in like the NHL in the last 20 years, but they're all just kind of like in vague, like numbers and like names, right? Like it's part, it's going to be really hard for you to go through and answer a question I ask you about the videos. You're going to need somebody who like knows how to pull out the right videos for you excellent um and then how, how do you teams or people doing research use machine learning because obviously this is like a lot of data so i'm assuming you're not just going through yourself like you're trying to get the help of you know algorithms and such to really help you out here yeah the uh, the machine learning aspect of it is I think really useful for when you have, I mean, more open-ended questions. So something that I, that is like considered machine learning is like clustering, which is like I was saying earlier, the open-ended question of like, I have this like set of things, group them for me on like some underlying characteristics. And that's like a really useful area for machine learning because it can be analogous to like I have like these different players that are all signed to different contracts like what types of contracts can you give a player so then you're thinking like okay this like this player on my team is maybe like a bottom six forward right like compare them to other players for me you're like what sorts of contracts what types of contracts should I be considering giving him? Got it. Got it. So, I mean, there's so many good questions to ask you because you've got such a breadth of good stuff up there. Uh, let's, let's talk about rebounds. Cause I know you did some work. You've done some talking about plus and minus of rebounds for goalies and skaters. Mind diving into that a little bit further? Yeah, so my my work specifically was sort of like an attempt to isolate goalies' impacts to rebounds. So I think like rebound rebound control is a skill. If you're a goalie, you've definitely worked on rebound control in practice. And it's something that like we all that I think we all know more or less like you can give up bad rebounds and 
they can lead to garbage goals, but they don't ask how you get them. They just ask how many. So it was something I was trying to look at. And we have like these other models that kind of isolate for like shooting ability. So I tried to use like the same sort of framework and setup, but instead of like looking at goals as your factor of interest, you're looking at rebounds instead. And you're trying to look at players impact on it. And I mean, expectably goalies have the most impacts on rebounds. And if I remember correctly, the top rated goalies were like around who you would expect when, because when you would go to other sites and it's like, when people did write about goalie rebound controls, the goalies that they would talk about normally agreed with the, the data or what the model was saying. So how do you even go about talking about rebound control? Like blow our, our listeners' minds for a hot second on like, oh, this goalie gives up a lot of good rebound or a lot of good rebounds, you know, high in the corner. This one just puts a lot of pizzas out, out in the slot. Oh, so that's not really what I've done. There was some, there was another project very similar to that, but mine was more concerned. Mine was more just focused on the, uh, like the percentage of rebounds that you would give up off a shot and just sort of like starting from a simpler, simpler point. And there's actually an issue because the way that a lot of people do rebounds right now is that like it's a rebound if it's, I think, three seconds after the last shot was taken. And sometimes when I'd look, there were less rebounds than there were goals, which didn't make much sense. And I think I might have to look, but that was what I saw when I originally was looking at it. So it's a very sparse response. But you were looking at, yeah, more like impact to chance of a rebound occurring. Got it. So whether they got a whistle or not, basically. Well, you can isolate for whistle too. I was looking at if another shot like happened directly after. Got it. Got it. Right, I'm following it now. So talking about goaltending, um, I know we talked about before we hopped on here about goaltending positioning and like, for example, do you include where puck ends up in your expected goals model? Things like that. Uh, Curious to have you break that down for us a little bit further. Yeah. So there's a super, I think it's like an interesting thing that might come up soon as the the quality or the information of data we get on the shots that players takes that players take comes out more and we start to get information on like where players were shooting the puck from and where goalies were when they when the shot was taken so i think like a good example right now is like brady kachuk who will absolutely who has like absolutely juiced expected goals numbers some seasons and his goals don't really match up and sometimes you'll see him and it's just like whacking rebound after rebound like into the pads and it's like you're getting a lot of expected goals but like I'm looking and I'm seeing that the goalie's right there and like you're right in front of the shot so you're going to get a high xg 
but it's not really the most like it's not really the best chance and if you were actually looking at it you would see or other examples too but then you run into issues of like if you include it are you penalizing the teammate who made who in a different example like made the pass to the shooter because they have no influence over where the shot ends up and the shooter has no influence has maybe an influence on where the goalie ends up if they have like a really nice deke or if they're making like some really good movement but in general i'd say like where the goalie is on the shot is mainly up to the goalie so the shooter doesn't have that much influence over them so how fair is it to include that sort of information when you're judging like the shot the shooter took and you're trying to judge the shooter based off of that so like depending who you want to judge and who you want to evaluate you kind of have to really pick like different things that you would put that you would consider so how would you go about or how have you gone about or what have you read about this issue and going down that thought process and asking these questions you found any thoughts or like have you formed an opinion yet on any of this um my opinion is like i'd like to have like all the different versions and have a nice nuanced perspective on each of them but i think that's a bit of a pipe dream (laughs) yeah really going big there (laughs) yeah and i know especially when you have like your twitter graphs that would never happen either but i've seen the opinion that like you should kind of avoid it all and just like remain agnostic to goalie positioning and shooter positioning and i think that's like a respectable view for when you're really focused on like evaluating everybody as a total but if you want to talk about like shooter ability then you're just kind of like missing out on information that's given to you if you exclude it. And at, like goalies are voodoo, but we should take as much information as we can about them. And if we can learn about their positioning on certain shots and just in general against attempts, right? Like we can really learn about like some, hopefully more under, we can hopefully learn more about their underlying ability than we know now. Right. Cause like you watch Carey Price and he, he looks like he's going to save the puck. He's there every time. Or UC Saros, who like the puck seemed to just hit him in the chest 24 7. Yeah. And yeah. like so much of that is positioning. So do you think that's the next layer that gets added into a lot of this XG type models? We are looking at expected goals, and now we're looking about, okay, how good, the you know, was there a screen that made it difficult for the goalie to read the play so they're now out, of, out of position when they normally would be in position? But where, where should we go? Um, I, think, I think including goalie location is really, if when it comes out, I think it'll be a big part of goalie models for sure. And I think we can kind of – I can say this, like having seen previous papers that did that to evaluate goalies in soccer where they had goalie positioning and they were able to do some really cool stuff of like, given a shot was taken here and this is what happened before, this is where the average goalie would be positioned. Like now where were you positioned? And can we tell like, is is there like a general 
change variance in positioning that you are from like the average goalie would be on the shot. Man, soccer. I feel like soccer analytics might be a little bit beyond hockey at this point in time. Uh, is there anything else that you're seeing in the soccer analytics sphere that really uh, perked your ears a little bit? Oh, they have some cool stuff. I think like expected threat is really sick and I wish it would be like a more publicized version. We've obvious, I think we've had a bunch of different like similar metrics that are doing all the same things, but it's always so tough because these things, they come out in data competitions and then there's like that stream of data is over once the competition ends. So you can't really like keep up with the players and see how well they're actually doing in it. But I like expected threat is sick. Um, soccer data has like a has a bunch of other problems that a hockey can kind of get around in some cases. But so, what what would be expected threat? You could explain that for people who don't follow soccer. So it's. Um, sort of this process where you're saying like giving us the soccer ball is somewhere on the pitch we're going to like say that it's on this grid like on the spot on the pitch and that spot has a value and the value we give it give to that spot of the pitch is kind of dependent on the goals you can get from shooting it and like it's hard to explain like the places where the ball can go next and the value of those places that the ball can go weighted by the probability that the ball goes there. Yeah. It's pretty sick. Uh, as you say, like, so correct me if I'm wrong. I'll try to summarize this the best I can and probably screw it up, but expected thread is all about where the ball is at currently in the playing surface. And then, how valuable that spot actually is how you derive that value would be okay can i score a goal from here or what passing and usually i'm assuming this is based off a of clustering but i could be completely wrong of like the expected pass values of the different passing lanes and then how that eventually leads down into expected goals throughout the movement or sequence yeah, that was, a, that was, I think, a better description than I gave. I would just add that it's not only passing, it's like any event. So where the ball can go because of any event. Yes. So dribbling, yeah, dribbling as well, not just passing, but mm -hmm. shooting, dribbling, et cetera. And it's fascinating to see like spots in the box that aren't very valuable and then spots, that, spots outside that you would maybe like be a little more questioning, like, yeah, really? That or like super valuable and like how often do teams get to those spots like a Liverpool does and you know there's just reasons why they're amazing mm -hmm. yeah expected threat is something I'd love to see like consistently put out for hockey yeah I feel like currently it's just coaches yelling get to the middle get to the middle uh, and that's about as far as uh, hockey's taking the expected threat uh, yeah not, not much beyond that <laughs> Yeah, it's like before we had expected goals, we had the guy that would yell shoot from the stands. Which, I love that one commercial. I just get in this spot and I don't know what to do. But then I hear this guy in the stands telling me to shoot. 
hey, that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, but realistically, we should be yelling pass, right? Because doesn't that, for the most part, increase the shooting percentage? So instead of yelling shoot, we should be yelling pass. <laughs> or am I going crazy? What do you think, Nathan? What do I think? Uh, man, I depends where you are. I I wouldn't shoot right in the slot. I wouldn't pass it right in the slot. But also, I mean, oh no, it's all situational. Yeah, but we, we everyone tells us, you know, you got to make these Royal Road passes. What the heck? Increases our XG all the time, and now we can score more, right? Yeah, yeah, and that's a the railroad pass is an interesting one, actually. So. What, what do you mean? What's what's interesting about the Royal Road Pass and everything surrounding it? We'll just go. It's interesting for me. It, it's obviously a great pass. It's interesting to me because back at that CBJ hack, one of the things was uh, like none of the sequences had a clear railroad pass. And like we didn't really know why. And my theory is like that the players weren't attempting enough, tempting attempting it enough times for it to come up and you could see it sometimes but not all the time it would be like lumped into other clusters that were clearly not railroad passes and we talked about it and like i i still don't have a clear answer for why and i don't think i ever will but yeah it's an interesting one where it's like it's the it's probably the best pass you can make but the one of the best way to get it yourself into a position to make it is by doing like everything else. Hmm. I would be curious to see if it also might be derived from the fact that icing is allowed on the special teams because no player wants to be extra. I won't say aggressive is the right word. Cause obviously the defenders are even more so guarding the center ice, but you don't want to be that person who tries it, has a turnover. Now you've got to skate all the way back, try his own entry, another drop pass, kill another time off. And there might be a little uh, component of playing it safe in that situation rather than trying to make those passes you're looking for your middle guy or like you have your set reads. Meanwhile, when you're making those royal road passes, usually it's a situation where you've got the defense running or you're on a rush, things like that. Yeah, definitely. And like I said, like, I, I don't know why it was happening, but like, if I mean, like, if you think about where, when it's happening in the NHL, it is mainly happening in those rush situations. And when like almost a lot of people are cleared from the offensive zone, or if we look at like the capitals, right? Like they pretty much off, like their power play pretty much runs as like a four man unit and they just have OV over on the side like waiting for the railroad pass, right? And it works because it's like if if you focus on Ovi, then there's a four on three on the other side of the ice and that they'll burn you just as well. Yeah, I feel like uh, power play is just about how can you find the odd man situation around the net, whether it be like a slot shot into the bumper or like you get people running where their slides are pulling them away from the net and that's when you send it there whether it be like a pass to uh the guy on the goal line or shot for rebound or just, anything, or just mm-hmm. popping in there 
feel like that's a pretty critical element there. Shot first mentality. Um, so one other thing I really wanted to, to touch on is going be beyond goals and assists because you know we all talk about goals and assists and they're great, but there's way more to the game than just goals and assists, right? Yeah, there's grit. There's heart, desire. So well, what, what do you got for us here? I, I know that uh, you're one not to just stop at goals and assists, but go a little bit further. Like we talked already about, you know, passing, um, expected goals, rebounds, et cetera. So what do you got for us here? This, this is like a blank canvas for you to just take it and knock it out of the ballpark. Man, I think um, my favorite stat is wins. And the only way you can get wins is goals. And I mean, we have assists for like, assists is already like the sort of admission that goals is not enough to understand like what went into a goal. And as we're doing it, it's like, you can get your two assists from the goal. And if you were like the third pass and it was all, and it was like your beautiful breakout pass, it's like, it's tough luck, like sucks. You might get the plus minus. That's kind of what we learn from the traditional like stats. And I think we've done a great job of looking beyond that lately and kind of, and I think everyone in sport in like the analytics community has totally acknowledged it and like is working on like making these more holistic measures that are, that are trying to get away from goals and assists. Yeah. And I feel like, uh, Corey Schneider, uh, what is the three zones project that he runs with the public data tracking uh, and all the things that he tracks. I mean, some of these cards that come out where it's like the micro stats and it really gets granular. Like, who's really good at like breaking the puck out and it's not just zone entries and exits, but it's really getting to nitty gritty details or like offensive generation like in the offensive zone or not just off the rush. You know, it's, it's quite fascinating. Um, is there anything that you go to? I mean, as a coach, I do a lot on, you know, what was your puck touch? Was that a positive kind of a push play or was it a negative play and turnover type? Uh, I'm curious to see how you look at it. Um, things I go to are in the public sphere. I, I really like evolving hockey, such an awesome resource because on most stats they have are just great. Um, Micah Blake McCurdy's hockey viz is like a, it's a beautiful like representation of a player's impact in different places on the ice. And he, he has really awesome visits on like teams and how players play with each other and the effects of players when they play with each other and like really cool graphs that go on to really help you understand kind of like what a coach was maybe doing with his player deployment at times that's really useful and obviously i i like to watch the odd game here there too and that's always really sick when you have like this advanced metric that is telling you a guy's really good and you're like oh can like the masses don't think he's very good and you look into the tape and it's like oh like he's doing these small things that are not showing up in goals and assists but are clearly impacting the ice in his favor like what? Man, the, the classic is like Nichushkin, right? I think that's a 
easy one where it's just like his defense and his ability to like stop pucks and turn them over and create these like fast chances. Like you can see it so clearly in the finals where he was just like creating turnovers that led into fast chances. And they didn't always like, he, he got a fair amount of points, but often they didn't even end up being like his points, but it was his turnover, like his, his presence defensively that led to a turnover that led to a quick rush chance against that was a goal. Defensive play. Who would have thought that it actually leads to offense? Crazy. You're just blowing like 80% of high school hockey players out of the water. Like 90% of junior guys score a lot, like making them feel bad. Well, no, I'm not trying to talk on anyone. Look, if you're in high school, you might get drafted in the first round. So that was still a possibility. And we're all going to the NHL, right? Yeah, I'm still eligible. So are you. I mean, I mean, you did go to the NHL technically, so you're you're an NHL alumnus at this point. That's what I'll tell people at the bar, I guess. Well, there aren't there aren't that few of those out in Vegas, so I think you'll be able to find one or two. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, uh, Nathan. This is awesome having you on and uh, getting nerdy today. So I want to say, one, thank you. Two, give you an open floor. What do you want to talk about? Or just want to give some shout-outs? Whatever you want. It's yours. Oh, man. Um, I don't know. If you're interested in hockey, uh, reach out. Go to Hockey Graphs. They're an awesome website for all of these different blogs you can learn about. Go to Evolving Hockey to read about like advanced analytics. Uh, Hockey Viz, I already said they do awesome vizs. I have my own website, Delera Analytics, where I've posted a couple of different blogs in the past. I'm looking to post some new things in the future. Um, Can you give us any insight into those few things in the future? Oh, um, I'm not sure yet. I'm We'll see if it, if something comes to me. I can't – I feel like I've had things and I just – they can't come to mind right now. I'm sorry. The international man of mystery, Nathan Delera. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, yeah, I don't know. Donate to good causes too. So. Yeah, go, go support Corey and his public tracking so the rest of uh, these analytics people can continue to have jobs like uh, Mika, who's just amazing. Exactly. And, and you know obviously Nathan as well you know you're, you're no slouch <laughs> no yeah. but really appreciate you uh coming on yeah thank you and on, on the topic of future things um I might look at some of the latest like data tracking data we were talking about da- tracking data a lot today and I know that they have some new stuff from the data bowl so if anyone else is interested it's all there on a github last time I checked Go work on it. I might work on it too. Oh, oh, oh. He's throwing down the gauntlet saying, hey, try to beat me. I got you. No big deal. (laughs) Awesome, awesome. Well, uh, good luck in the future. Really appreciate you coming on. Take care, man. Thank you. You too. Peace.
That concludes this week's episode. Thanks for joining us here at Hockey IQ. If you haven't already, take a quick moment to hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and drop a review. If you want to be a great teammate, even recommend us to a friend. You can follow us at Hockey's Arsenal on Twitter and Instagram. Check out the website, hockeysarsenal.com, where you can subscribe to the weekly newsletter. You won't regret it. Catch you Buttes here next week for a brand new episode.